a dream about uh, recording the other day, and um, I was and I sang the intro. <laughs> you made up lyrics, like there were <laughs> there were lyrics, and I had to sing it live. Like I was like at every episode, I sang the intro live. People would probably pay me not to sing. I have a terrible singing voice, so that could be like a real money maker I mean, for us in the future. Same. <laughs> anyway. Oh, it's Thanksgiving week, Sarah. I know. I have, feel like I have senioritis on this year. Oh my gosh. Yeah, right. I can't I can't afford to. I have work to do, but boy, it's start it's really feeling like 2020 is never ending. 2020, the year that was a million years long. Yeah, it really is kind of wild when you think about the things that, like RWA. No, that was like December. That <laughs> I was know. eleven months ago. I know. Well, when we were preparing for this episode, I was like, "Oh my god, that's that book was published that was this, this year? year." Yeah, I know. It's wild. When we do, so this is our best of the year episode. Did we say welcome everybody <laughs> to Faded Mates? <laughs> Well, I wasn't, like, really announcing the episode. I was going to tell a story, but instead we're going to do that. Welcome, everybody, to Faded Mates. I'm Sarah McLean. I write romance novels and I read romance novels. And I'm Jennifer Prokop. I'm a romance reader and critic. And now I've forgotten the story I was going to tell. So see. Well, it was, was it about the dream of singing the Faded Mates theme <laughs> song that doesn't exist? No. No, it was not. And you should all be very grateful that that's not happening. That's not our special. That's not our spe- a very special edition. Uh, wait, a very special episode of Faded Mates. A very right. Where exactly. Sarah sings. Um, no, I was going to say that this is so. This is our best of the year episode, um, which is always hard for us because we oh, read so a hard. lot of great books over the course of the year, and also it's especially hard for me because I have a lot of friends who, as you know, from listening to the podcast, when I think somebody's a great writer, I then immediately stalk them into being my friend. <laughs> so it makes it hard to do a best of episode because I try, we try to, I think we try to be a little ethical here at Baited Mates. We try. We try. We do what we, we can. <laughs> I think, you know, it's funny because I definitely feel like we say up front if it's a friend, right? And I definitely try to do that when I... um review on Goodreads. Like, I will start by saying, like, full disclosure, Sarah's my friend. Because that way, people know going in. So, yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting, because when I wrote for the Washington Post, which I no longer do, there was, you know, I signed an ethics, you know, form that basically said... I won't review books by my friends. And then it became harder and harder to write the column for the Washington Post <laughs> because I have this thing where if I, if I read a book that I think is fabulous, I want to, like, know the author and become their friend so that basically I can make them tell me yes. how to do it better. Right. The point is, two of the books I'm going to talk about are your favorites, too. But <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not going to talk about them. I mean, I am going to talk about them. But, sure. like, officially, they're Jen's picks. Right. Um, and so, yeah. So there's that. But also, um, that, wasn't, that also wasn't the story. I was sort of punting. This was me, like, dancing around the story because I was hoping it would come back to me. And it hasn't. So we'll just move forward. Well, 2020 strikes again, friend. Right? It's true. It's true. Yeah. So anyway, this is our best of the year episode, and there have been lots of best of the year lists out this. I love best of the year week. lists. Me I think too. it's a great. What I really like about them is, I mean, finding new reads, obviously, but also like, just like the process. I think it's a really interesting process because 
this is like my best of the year list. I'm not saying it's the like, right? Like there's some. Yeah, we never, we don't, we're not pundits. We don't like. Right. That's you not, can like whatever books you like. In fact, right. we appreciate it when you tell us. Yeah, what absolutely. The books are that you like. But I think that it's an exercise for me, too, to think um, about a reading year. And then also about, like, what makes a book, like, stick in a particular year, right? Like, and I I am really looking forward to, like, going back through a couple years of these at some point and being like, how do I feel about it now? Because I also feel like many romance readers, because we're all mood readers, I think, at the bottom of our soul, a book that worked in a particular year because of who we were and what was going on, or a book that didn't could, like, bubble up later. Absolutely. Um, so what we are, so the process is we have 10 books that we think we were great, which is an arbitrary number. It's, I mean, everybody feels like it has to be an even number. It doesn't. It could have been six, but we picked 10. Here's the other thing. Sarah, do you want to talk about Old Town Books now or do you want to do it at the end? Um, yeah, let's talk about Old Town Books. I'm so excited about this. So I am too. Okay. Old Town Books is an independent bookstore in Alexandria, Virginia, and they're actually moving. I follow, Do you follow them on Instagram? No, you don't like Instagram. Um, sorry. Anyway. Sorry. I've, <laughs> sorry. Sorry, everyone. That is true. Anyway, apparently they're moving, um, which seems like a lot this season, but fine. Anyway, uh, so if you are following the world, <laughs> which, you know, how can you not at this point, you maybe have heard that independent bookstores and small businesses in general this year are struggling. And that's for a lot of different reasons, but largely because many of them were closed for at least some portion of the year. And so in order to make their, you know, annual bills, they're, um, you know, they're doing what they can to sell as many books as possible. And uh, we were very excited. We are super excited to be partnering with Old Town Books in Alexandria, Virginia, which is putting together, the team there has put together a pack of these books, the books that we selected as best of the year. So that will include all of the books that are not self-published on this list, of which there are four, three. And we should maybe talk about why, because... You go. Okay, so so basically we're going to talk about ten books, five each really, and then um, seven... So seven of them are then trade-published. The three that are self-published... A couple of them actually are only available in E. And then one of them, you know, here's the thing you don't know. If a self-published book is you order it, it's often print-on-demand, right? So you order it, and you're ordering essentially a copy that gets printed for you. Um, And the thing about that is bookstores cannot return them, right? So it's like we sort of gave them, like, a number. like, But if only five people order it, they can return those other books and not be stuck with, like, faded mates overstock. Though, let's be honest, Fated Mates Overstock wouldn't be the worst thing. We have excellent taste. (laughs) I think so. So it's not, we are not trying to malign or slight those three books at all. It's just kind of because the way indie bookstores work, it's just sort of a a bit of a weird thing to ask them to. Right. We didn't want to add stress to them with this. So, um, so what you will, what, here's the way the pack works. You can buy all seven of these books. In a special Fated Mates pack, it comes with a Fated Mates sticker and a candle from the store that they're throwing in gratis um, <laughs> for everyone. Um, so that's really fun. A lot of you, we assume, has have read at least one. We think you've read at least one of these. 
uh, this year. Sure. Probably you've read more than one of them, in which case they make excellent gifts for this holiday season for the romance yeah, lover around you. We think it all, they also like kind of run the gamut of yeah, of genre, taste, etc. So maybe there's somebody who who you know who isn't a huge romance reader but like might like one of these. So we think that we could be helping, you know, do some of your holiday shopping as well for those of you who have holidays coming up. Um and then of course, you know, you can always tuck the extra of whatever into your little free library. Sure, which is, that's like, you guys, I have this whole theory. Maybe I have debuted this theory before, but we all, a lot of us of my generation, talk about finding, like, the brown paper bag full of books. But one day, it's going to be, I found this in the little free library. So you... Are seating specifically the in romance Chicago, reader. near yeah, exactly. House. Oh my God, people in, <laughs> people in Hyde Park are like that one's got puzzles and romance novels. Hello, <laughs> um, I do a, a lot of puzzle liquidating at the Little Free Library too. Um, and I would say uh, here's one other thing I'm going to throw out there because you know that we are going to be phone banking. Um, I am going to offer up one of these packs as a phone banking prize. For one of our, for probably our December 2nd group. So What I'm a gonna, treat. Yeah. I'm like, you know what? Somebody's going to get the whole set from me as a thank you for phone banking. So here's the deal. The team at Old Town, we, we talked to them. We gave them a number of pa- packs that we thought maybe we could sell. And so who knows? So uh, they have some stock on hand. They've also made it possible um, on the website at Old Town for you to not just buy the pack, but you can also buy the books individually, though the pack comes with the sticker and the candle. So, um, And if you order before December 5th, which is next next Saturday, um, you next Saturday from when this uh, this episode drops, you will get it in hand by Christmas Day, which is good for everyone, I think. Um, so we are incredibly excited. We want to thank the team at Old Town, which immediately jumped to help and like yeah, they were immediately like, so cool. they were like, right. "How can we help? How can we be a part of this?" Which is awesome, and um, we're really we're just excited because you know Jen and I have spent the last hundred and some odd episodes kind of, we have a sense that we are selling books, meaning like that so that you all who are listening are also buying the books that we're recommending. Um, but we don't have, you know, we have anecdotal evidence, um, but we've never worked with a bookstore before. So this is really fun and who knows what will come of it, but we're excited to be helping independent bookstores. Of course, if the Old Town Pack is too much or you don't want to shop in Alexandria, Virginia, you want to shop from your own local indie. Sure, of course. Have at it. We'll also have links to our bookshop.org um, list of these books down below um, in show notes. Links to the Old Town Faded Mates um, page or shop will be on our Twitter feed, on our Instagram feed, and um, in show notes. Yeah, absolutely. So, we just think that's fun, a fun, exciting new thing. And Thanks, Old Town. Yeah. And thanks all of you who support indie bookstores and, you know, your, your local little free library, future romance readers. <laughs> yeah. And let us know on Twitter or Instagram or shoot us an email at Sarah, uh, Sarah at net or Jen at net to let us know if you did buy the pack and if you did think yeah. that this was cool. Um, and maybe in the future there's some other pack to be had. Okay, so we should get started. We should get started. 
We should say these are no. This is going to be a long episode. They're in no particular order. No, we love all of them equally. Yes, obviously. (laughs) We would never. (laughs) Exactly. It's just the way it went. And some of these we've talked about before, and those might go a little bit faster. So, well, should we start start with the the one we've definitely talked about before? Or should we leave that for the end? No, we should start with the one. Okay. I'll do it because it's low-hanging fruit for me. It's the it's mine. So. It's yours because you were like, you got it. Yeah. That's uh-huh. mine, too. <laughs> we had to fight over this one. Okay. Obviously, the, we said it on the episode when we did the read-along, but uh, Millivane's A Heart of Blood and Ashes is on this list this year. Interestingly, it's on a lot of the best of lists this I year. Know. And I feel like, oh, really, everyone? <laughs> <laughs> I feel so possessive of it. I know. <laughs> We're like, that one's ours. <laughs> it's everyone's. Everyone um, should read it. Well, look, for those of you who are just joining us for the Best of the Year episode, this book, um, we loved it so much that we um, we did a full read-along of it already once already this season. So we're not going to spend too much time. We will link to that read-along in show notes so that you can listen to the full, you can get the full experience of us just, what Eric, our producer, says is just us like verbally vomiting our excitement <laughs> into, the, into the ether about this book. But it is hella feminist. Yes. It is like an anthem for our time. It is a fantasy romance, which if you've ever listened to me talk, you know, like, that's just how did Sarah come to read an entire fantasy romance from page one to page like 500? It happened. It was amazing. There is, uh, it is, there is vengeance. There is sex positivity. There is um, awesome disability rep. There is, uh, you know, an alpha hero who just will burn everything down and take the heads of every enemy to protect his heroine and his his pack. Um, there is a goddess who is, like, vengeful against anybody who touches a woman without her consent. There is a dildo salesman in a... <laughs> the, the cockmonger. A, a cockmonger. <laughs> I mean, like, this book has it all. It has it all. It really does. I mean, does. I think that's what you can say. It is absolutely bananas. If you decide that you are going to sit down and if you are looking for the read that will, like, keep you distracted from either your kid's home for, <laughs> right, you know, 83 weeks <laughs> of the year um, or from the fact that you're not able to spend the holidays doing all the things that you love doing over the holidays, yeah. if you want something that's just going to, like, absolutely... Just struck you, you down yeah. to, like, pure reader and book. This is the book yes. for you. If Yvonne was here, she would be like, 2020, I have a journey. Yeah. <laughs> Listen. <laughs> yeah, Listen, at the end of it, you'll be like, story. oh, I would do quarantine again. <laughs> yes. Yvonne was like, look, that's a cute story, everybody. Let me tell you about a journey. No, it is amazing. Definitely not only just, like, one of my best romances this year, but I think Destined to be an all-time favorite for me. Oh, I mean, I think so. I think what we saw with this book, Millivane is um, the pen name of Mel Jean Brooke, whose books I have loved for many years, um, and books romance has loved for for a long, long time. Um, But I think what Millivane is doing here will be talked about This is one of those moments where you feel like this is a watershed moment for the genre. Like, in 20 years, they'll look back at 2020 and say, like, Thank God it's over. Thank God it's through. 
stressed and worn out, and I've put strain on all my relationships, and I don't know what the future holds, and it's possible I've lost all direction, but... That was the year of the fantasy. Like, you know, maybe we started some kind of, like, fantasy. I don't know what she's begun, but whatever she's begun is happening now. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's amazing. So we have talked about that book a million times and probably will a million more. It's going to become a touchstone romance, I think, for us, for sure. Sure. Okay, so let me pivot to a book that we have also talked about, um, just because then we can... um, Get them out of the way. We've talked extensively. Yeah, I don't mean it that way, but, you know, we've talked about one of my favorite romances of the year is Like Lovers Do by Tracy Livesey. We had her on earlier for the Friends to Lovers. Um, She was also on our 100th anniversary episode. And she's my friend. Yeah, so, you know what, though? I actually would have fought Sarah for this if she'd been like, I'd been like, no, this one's for me. (laughs) Um, I think one of the things is sometimes we talk about how, um, like, how deeply personal romance is. And this romance was, reading this was deeply personal to me. Um, The story is about Nick Allen. She's a doctor, and she essentially has, like, a bad run-in with, like, a cocky white young intern and gets put on administrative leave, which allows her, for romance reasons, to, at the perfect time, be able to go on a trip with her best friend, who is her... um, her landlord. And she's planning on leaving. I think they're in Baltimore. She's going to move out, you know, move to Duke for a fellowship. And so it was going to kind of be the other end of their friendship. But she agrees to help him out to sort of be a fake girlfriend so he can, like, stave off this old bad girlfriend. And um, this book, I think one of the things that's always really interesting is when, a bo- you know, like, Friends to Lovers is is can be a hard sell for me. And I believed in this book the entire time. I think it was deeply personal because it has an interracial romance, which was just, like, important to me as a reader. And I talked a lot, a little bit about that with Tracy when we were with her. I won't belabor it. But also, just, like, Nick is such a hard-working—she per- works so hard. And yet, like— the way in which she doesn't get the respect she deserves because she's a black woman, because she's a woman, because, you know, she, like, of her class, which she's really kind of um, aware of. I think that this is a deeply human book. And by that, I just mean that, like, there was so much in it for me to connect to. Even though I'm not a doctor or I haven't had this life, I really found myself just really loving Nick and and Ben's journey to like sort of not being oblivious and like really moving from being her friend, something he was good at, to being her lover, something he had to work at, also was pretty awesome. I love this book. I want to press it into everyone's hands that I possibly can. Um, I I just think it's terrific, and it's real sexy. Hamcock. That's all I'm going to say about that. Hamcock. <laughs> They have sex in hammock, everybody. I don't like that I as don't, a word. Tracy said it, and it made me laugh, so I'm going to keep I saying know, it. I know. I'm Tracy. <laughs> but here's what I am going to say. This book is also, like... like For the record, also, nobody says hamcock in this book. No, that's just for giggling. Here's what, I, here's what I'll, I will also say is, you know how sometimes people talk about, like, oh, I read this at Christmas every year, or oh, I read this every year around Halloween? This book is so summer. Oh, it's the best summer read. It's the best. I really feel like I this will be a book that every summer I'm gonna be like, have that itch to reread it. You know, here's the thing. 
I, Tracy is a, is a good friend and I love her so much. But one of the reasons why I love her so much is because she's such an outstanding writer. And like, I really believe that Tracy sits down and she thinks about like, okay, I'm going to write a summer read. And so it's going to, I'm going to pack it full of like the things that people want in their summer reads. Like it's going to feel bright and sunshiny and like lush and hot and you know, I feel like uh, you open this book and like a, a glass of sangria pops out. I mean, yeah, it's so delicious. It's a yeah, delicious it, book. It really is. Um, and it's uh, it was on sale last week. It may still be on sale in ebook form. Um, and a lot of people on my tw- I sort of talked about it on Twitter last week, and a lot of people were like, "Oh, I read this because I heard about it on the podcast." So and good. It was so good. <laughs> it's. It's so, I mean, I just feel like it really is a book that showcases what romance can do. Yes. Um, Okay. I will go next and I will talk about, okay. I know, really. I know which one. I have my list. Um, Okay. I am going to talk about Her Night with the Duke by Diana Quincy. Um, I think Diana is one of the best historical writers out there right now. Um, I think her books are so, she's so talented. Her books have such, uh, she also writes mysteries, which I hadn't realized until this year, but it's not a surprise to me because her books are so tightly plotted. Like you really feel like you're going on a journey in these books. Like something is going on, um, something is going on in them. And then you're sort of, you're putting it all together along with the characters in a way that's different than, that, you know, really speaks to somebody who thinks about, like, plot all things as a mystery, um, even a love story. And so, and I think that that's why I love her book so much. It's certainly why I like this book so much, um, along with the fact that the heroine, Leela, is pretty much the badassest heroine <laughs> around uh, these parts. I mean, it's hard to it's hard to say that in the year of a heart of blood and ashes, but certainly yeah. historic I feel like they would be friends, Leela and Evan. So I feel like that's gonna be a common theme throughout all of these, by <laughs> yeah. the way. I'm like badass heroines are where we're at, everybody. <laughs> that's this is the aesthetic Jen and I are looking for this year. <laughs> Absolutely. Um was a man kneecapped in this book. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I mean, let's be honest. 2020 is the year when I wrote the heroine who just beat the shit out of the hero. So, I mean, it's a whole mood. (laughs) So, but here's the story. I can't, I've told this beginning so many times over the last couple of months that I actually don't know that I've done it on the podcast. So, but our heroine. I think you have. I have. Okay, well, I'm going to do it again quick. Okay, so the hero, uh... Elliot is a duke, such as it is, and um, he is on his way. He needs to get married because, you know, dukes have to duke. And so he is on his way up the Great North Road to his to an estate where he is about to meet the woman who he is to court, the young woman who is going to be his duchess, and carry on his ducal line. But there's a terrible storm, and the road washes out, and he has to spend the night in a posting inn. And he walks into the um, the pub version, <laughs> the pub part of the posting inn, only to discover this, like, absolutely stunning woman who has a knife, like a massive knife, and is, like, defending herself against ruffians and assholes. 
and she's also she's an Arab heroine, um, and so she is also facing us a, a like a not small amount of racism and sexism and but she is well holding her own like he's like oh I'm gonna jump in here and you know save the day and like rescue this poor simpering woman and she turns around and she has like a giant knife um and so there's a knife fight and then the (laughs) the barkeep pub owner is like well she I don't have any rooms for her like right. there is no For- room there is no room at this inn <laughs> and the duke says well why don't you take my room and she says okay but we're grown ups like we can share and yeah. then by chapter 2 they are sharing only one room only one bed this is amazing they have That's- a crazy bananas like hot night together and then part in the morning like fine peace out she's like i'm done he's like i gotta get married fine they go off to their to their respective places and he shows up to meet the woman who is to be his bride and oops the woman from the knife fight is actually his bride's stepmother his future (laughs) mother-in-law yeah (laughs) that's such a great premise i cannot even it's amazing if you like grumpy heroes this is a grumpy hero for you. He is so stiff yeah. in all the ways, but <laughs> he's so stiff and like unyielding. And she is like cool and just doesn't tolerate it. And it is really terrific and a great, you know, for the last few years, historicals, like there haven't been a ton of new voices in historicals and diana's you know diana's not new this isn't her debut but it's i love it when there's like a new there's an author in historical who's really just like doing the business and she's got a backlist so welcome to diana quincy okay so um all right i'm going to talk about uh one of the self-published romances on our list so i just want to say that so it won't be part of the the pack so you'll have to go to your your ebook retailer and get The Hidden Moon, A Lotus Palace Mystery by Jeannie Lynn. Um, this is another historical and part of her Lotus Palace Mysteries series, which um, I think I read the first one, but not the intervening ones. Um, and I, I, I found it very easy to read. Um, this book is set in Chagan in like 857 AD, I think. So we are talking like a historical, right? And the story is that Lady Bai, her name is Weiwei, um, has always been sort of like, the, she's the spoiled, but like not in a bad way. Like she just doesn't realize how wealthy she, like really her, I think her privileges, um, daughter in between two sons. And she was fully educated by her family. And the thing that I really liked about her is she's, I think, 25 or 26. So she's not, and she's like a real firecracker. So there's this really funny part where it keeps talking about how she bribes the matchmaker. And it took me a while. It took me a while to figure out what it was, is she's been bribing the local matchmaker to not make a match for her because she has no interest in getting married because she likes her life so much. Um, She is um, kind of behind the scenes, has helped both of her brothers achieve kind of their positions in um, in in the emperor's kind of like 
regime in terms of their jobs. And um, one of the things, though, is she has this, and this had been laid out in, I think, the previous book. She There's this, like, kind of street character named Gao. Um, he's like a scoundrel. He's not like a warlord, but he's definitely, like, kind of in with the bad crowd. Um, but they kind of team up to solve a murder. And what happens is, is he finds this, like, jade um, mark, like, and it turns out that it's someone in the emperor's staff has been killed. Like, only someone would have this seal. And it's, I really, first of all, I feel, I felt, like, very few, like, remember earlier you are talking about Millivane, like, sort of really, it's you in the book. Mm-hmm. That is how this book made me feel. Like, I just was so swept away into this world and into um, a lot of the—and it was really funny because I found myself thinking, like, you know, is this fossils, right? Like, there's so much information about Shigong and and the way, like, the emperor worked and, like, the—you know, all of this business. And and, and it wasn't—and part of it was because what Jeannie Lin—first of all, if you've never read one of her books, her prose is lovely. Oh, she's so talented. Yes. It's so—it's almost, like, unreal. And so you just really feel, like, swept away into the story. But all—one of the things that's really interesting is between Weiwei and Gao— is that there is this big class difference between them. And unlike, like, the, you know, a Regency class difference where we're used to seeing this overcome so many times, right? There doesn't really feel like there's going to be any way for these two to ever be together. And she is, um, you know, going out into the city at night and trying to, like, you know, solve this murder. And the thing that, like, but all of these like, journeys are really used to show what kind of person she is. So, for example, you know, this is, like, 800 AD or whatever. If you're not in the city walls at night, you're, like, stuck outside. Mm-hmm. And so one night she and Gow are out, and he escorts her home, and she's like, okay, bye, see ya. And she doesn't even really think about the fact that he's now, like, out in the city. Like, he he has no way to get back to his home. Mm-hmm. And then a couple nights later, it happens again, and her brother, this time he's helping her brother, and her brother's like, well, I invited him to spend the night so that he wouldn't be out. And she realizes, like, oh, I'm kind of shitty, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, like uh, you know, and it's just this moment where it's so, like, well done. Yeah. So I don't I don't know how else to describe it. Like, the, like, and, you know, he kisses her, and she's like, oh, God, it's so good. I just want you to know I, like, really love this book. So I would he just. kisses her. Oh, and she's like, my first kiss, should it have been him? And, of course, I was like, yes, girl, it should have been him. Um, it's really, really terrific. And and the thing about it being a mystery is um, I found myself thinking, like, unlike a lot, romantic suspense can be a little hard for me because yeah. I'm kind of like, it's just like thriller, although I'm going to talk about one later. They, they're solving a mystery, right? Who killed this guy? And what are they up to? And I... I, you guys, there's like a courtesan and like a, a suitor for her. I mean, there's like, it has everything. It has everything. I loved it. I'll allow it. Of course you will. You're going to buy it is what you're going to do. I am. I am going to buy it. <laughs> so, okay. You said, what did you say? And I wanted to jump from that. And now it's gone. I don't well, remember. Look at, oh, sorry. I don't remember. I'm, my brain isn't in it. Um. Anyway. Bleh. Okay. Um, well, so I'm going to go from that to my other historical 
because it's also it's a it's also well it's also indie published and also i want to talk about this book because i feel like it's doing like 400 things that romance doesn't usually do but also somehow capturing exactly what we want as romance readers so my pick is honey trap by Aster Glenn Gray, who I think we've talked about on the podcast before because I really loved Breerly, her um, 1940 set alternate universe Beauty and the Beast retelling. And Honey Trap is 1000% not that. Honey Trap is set, first of all, Jen, it's a spy novel. I can't even believe it. I don't even know what, who I, who I am. 2020 has made me into this person, but actually I do know because it's not historical. I mean, it is historical, but it's not historical. It's a, it's a spy novel. It begins in 1959 with an American and a Soviet spy together. Wow. <laughs> That's it like Cold War shit, right? Cold War shit. So first of all, <laughs> so you love everything nuclear. Yes, I do. That is true. I So did you ever read Cablo's Top? When that came out? Okay. Mm -mm. So there's this wild story that some people listening will know, but a lot I did not know about this story until this book came out, Cablos Top, which is nonfiction. Um, But in when Eisenhower was president in 1959, so like deep in Cold War shit, Mm -hmm. Eisenhower and Khrushchev had this sort of like tentative... I don't know what we would call it. It's not, it wasn't a friendship, but it was like a tentative sort of like peace. Something, yeah. And Eisenhower wanted him to, Eisenhower wanted Khrushchev to agree to something and had sort of, and and the story goes that he had sort of a, an emissary send a letter to Khrushchev that basically said, if you agree to this like global thing, um, it was like a summit, I can't remember what it was, but it's something, then, um, you know, why don't you come to, vacation, why don't you bring your family on vacation to America? Except in the letter, as it got to Khrushchev, the agreement stipulation was not in the letter. So Khrushchev just got an invitation to come to America from Eisenhower for like two weeks with his whole family and travel around America. (laughs) And you could, I mean, Eisenhower couldn't take it back at that point. He was like, why, yes, I, I, I will in fact take that vacation. So Khrushchev comes And um, he traveled, he went from, he traveled the whole country. Like, he traveled from, like, a steel mill in Pennsylvania to, like, the corn fields of Iowa to, like, Wisconsin. He did the East Coast. He did the West Coast. He did cities. He ate hot dogs with, you know, (laughs) like, he he did the whole thing. And he gave speeches all along the way where he basically just shaded America (laughs) at every speech. And, like, it was a wild—it's a wild story. So, anyway, this is this is all sort of irrelevant to—well, it's sort of—it's, you know, Set up. secondary to the story. And none of this is in the book. So—but, anyway, you should read Cable's Top, which is an actual headline from an actual newspaper when he wanted to go—Khrushchev wanted to take his family to Disneyland because— <laughs> Obviously. Sure. You're going to America. Because who wouldn't? And all the papers called him K while he was on his vacation because Khrushchev is too long. It takes up too much space in headline. 
Sure. And he was not able, the United States basically said, like, you can't go to Disneyland because we can't make sure that you'll be safe there. Like, we can't protect you. And he, like, he blew his top about not being able to go to Disneyland. So, Kay blows top. Anyway, it's a very fun, interesting nonfiction, piece of nonfiction. Um, anyway, so Honey Trap begins post the visit from Khrushchev and is the conceit, and I don't think this is, I think this is Astro Glenn Gray's like invention, is that at some point the train that Khrushchev had been traveling in was shot, like huh. with a gun. Okay. And so after he got home, secretly the FBI and the Soviet, you know, not the KGB, but whoever, the other people, <laughs> the Soviet FBI, um, came together um, and tried to figure out who it was who had attempted to assassinate Khrushchev because that could have caused a sure. like major Huge deal, nuclear right? war and killed us all. Right. So the premise of this book is a gun was stolen. That gun shot the side of a train. And here we are with two spies, an American spy and, an, and, an, and, a, and a Soviet spy, Daniel and Kennedy, who are working together. And they are literally traveling around America in 1959 to try and figure out who it was who That's shot the amazing. train. Okay. So now, oh, this is what you said. I was trying to decide if the Genie Lynn, if some of the Genie Lynn stuff was fossils. And I mean, this is my problem with spy novels, right? It's like, it all feels like fossils to me. But, and in this case, I was like, this doesn't feel fossily to me. This feels like, here are two guys. Feels like character building, like, right? Who are just like on the road. It's like a buddy cop movie, but also like they're super into each other. Yeah. And the, the setup is that this, the Gennady, the uh, Russian spy, he has been asked to honey trap Daniel, meaning like Daniel has had, Daniel's a known inveterate womanizer who has had a relationship before with a man, but like it's 1959 and like, what can you do? Right. But he, in the book, in the text, they talk about Kinsey. Like he's like, I'm not, you know, there's a discussion of like, well, are you homosexual or are you heterosexual? And he's like, no, Kinsey refers. Kinsey calls this bisexual. Like, there's some oh, really, like, cool okay. discussion of, like, what's going, like, about sexuality in here. Um, anyway, so these two, they're, they travel around the country trying to find the spy, right? And so the, the you're in both of their POVs. The Russian spy is supposed to, like, tr essentially, like, honey trap Daniel into a relationship or at least, like, sex, gay sex, so that he can then blackmail him for state secrets. And Daniel is, like, supposed to be watching him. Like, they're kind of spying on each other, but, like, from close proximity. There, this book includes <laughs> only one bed, snowed in. They go to, they end up, it takes so long for them to do this, this investigation that Kennedy has to go to Daniel's house for Christmas. So they're like, they have to like go and pick out a Christmas Meeting tree together. Family. It's like <laughs> a Christmas romance, right? Meeting the family. Um, and then fine. And it's the slowest, hottest burn. Like you're already like, boop. But, the, <laughs> but there's something, because of course, like every time it almost happens, like, Kennedy, the the Soviet spy is like, I can't do this to him. Like I, I can't he really, he honey really trap him. him. Like yeah. I like him, and I don't want to blackmail him. So anyway, so it so they finally they sort out the mystery, and then um and then it's sort of clear that he's going to go home 
But then, like, it ends up that he, so then, but then he doesn't go, like, so the Russian spy, there's also, like, tons, there's so much coded into this about, like, communism and capitalism and, like, America and, like, the mythology of America and what it all means. It's so fascinating. And then in 1959, uh, Eisenhower sent a U-2 bomber over on a covert mission over the Soviet Union, and Khrushchev got pissed, and that was, like, done. Now we're really cold-warring. And when that happened, Gennady had to leave, and he went back to Russia. And so the book skips forward to 1975. Oh. And now— I know, and now we're, like— Skipping time. Maybe, like, 60% of the way through the book. Like, we've now skipped 15 years. Wow. And— that's intense for a, a romance to Kennedy do that, right? comes back, and Daniel's married to this very cool woman, and they're in a polyamorous marriage. Huh. And I'm like, what just happened? <laughs> I love it. This is amazing. So then, and like, she's like, hey, and he's been very upfront with her from the start. Like, there was this guy, there was this Russian spy. We were, you know, we like fooled around one time. Like, finally, we got to the fast burn, and then he had to go home because Eisenhower flew a plane over Russia. I mean, like, here's the (laughs) other thing you want to talk about stakes? Like, these two assholes can't end up together. Like, they are literally, there's a whole bit where it's like discussion of enemies and like how you can really love your enemy and really like your enemy, but ultimately, like, they're still your enemy. enemy. And then you're like, oh, well, every other enemies to lovers romance, like, has not, like, you want to talk about taking the finger, like, Soviet American (laughs) love story between two men in 1959 is like, it seems, yeah, you've, there are no more fingers. You took all of them. I mean, they did take some fingers. I will say that too. But But not for 15 years. Talk about slow burn. Good Lord. Yeah. And so Daniel's wife, Elizabeth, is like, hey, um, well, if he's in DC, why don't you go see him? Because, like, Go That's get awesome. it. Like it's fine. I don't. I don't have a problem with it. Like I have my lover over here. You go do what you need to do. It's this wild romance. So then, and then at the end, it skips forward to 1992. Like it's wild. It's three yeah, different time time frames. This love story goes on over. It's like a lifelong love. It feels like faded matesy in some ways. Like we're t- like this. This author has figured out like how to build. First of all, a story at a time frame in a time frame that like very few people are writing 50s, 1950s, 1970s, 1990s, right? And she's figured out how to do all of that and then also tell a story that is truly conflict laden about two people who like just deserve to be loved. And I the whole time was like, uh, you know, we talk about this all the time, Jen. I just really love it when somebody's doing something completely different. Like, yes. right. what are you trying to do? Like, this yes. is your question, right? What sure. are you trying to do? Did you achieve it? Was it worthy of doing? Yes, 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 for sure. And it, I don't know, this may not be a book that every person loves. It's certainly like there's a lot about it that's like really weird, <laughs> but I really loved it. You know, we've talked a lot about, like, what are we going to look back from this year? And maybe it is going to be this, like, right? Like, something, like, there's spaces in romance that, like, were not there before. Yeah. Right? And maybe, like, I definitely think that I felt that way with, like, with The Hidden Moon in the sense that, 
you know, it it really was like it's really a mystery. Like their romance is like a big part of it, but I was still so into it. I just like couldn't get enough of this world. Yeah. Same thing with Millivane. And I just feel like, right, there there are new worlds out there for us to explore. And we are lucky enough to see authors giving them to us. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's interesting because really the other two books that I'm going to talk about today, too, also have these kind of like unique storytelling devices. So maybe, yeah. I mean, I just think that there's something powerful about a, a writer who's willing to like take this kind of risk. And yeah. I feel like we're seeing really interesting risk taking all over the genre right now. Yeah, I think so too. Anyway, that was Astor Glenn Gray's Honey Trap. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Okay, so let me talk about a book that I think is maybe taking some risks in really interesting ways too, which is The Roommate by um, Rosie Dannon. Um, I really, really love this book. I've mentioned it before. I don't know how much I've talked about it though. Um, so this was a debut novel, um, which I think is also really interesting because um, I think one of the things I really loved about it is how sex positive this book is. So Clara Wheaton is our heroine. She has is essentially going to make a last-ditch effort to get together with the guy that she has had a crush on, this, like, family friend her entire life. So she has just graduated with kind of a Ph.D. in art history. She doesn't know what she's going to do with it. So she's going to go to L.A. and sort of declare her love for this guy that she's been kind of— you know, in love with her whole life. And he he picks her up at the airport and is like, guess what? My band's going on tour. And I like leased out, I, you know, I found somebody to take my room. So don't worry, you won't be alone in Los Angeles. And she is like, you've got to be fucking kidding me. You are the biggest asshole. And, you know, it's really interesting because in a lot of romances, the setup would be that like, she's still going to get together with him. But instead it's really like the blinders are off. And her roommate is a guy named Josh who is a real honest-to-God porn star. And I felt like what the thing that really I thought was amazing is there's so many ways in which porn is clearly like a proxy for romance, right? Like it's so easy for us to look down on porn Mm -hmm. and to say that people who make porn are, right? Like it really mined a lot of like deep-seated, I think like societal things that we say um, or, you know, I mean, it really got me thinking a lot about like what does it mean when someone calls romance mommy porn? right Mm -hmm. and josh like he's like i i love it this is super fun for me and but he's stuck in sort of a contract negotiation problem which is he's made the agreed upon sort of number of um movies for his um kind of company it was called black hat there's like you know they're the bad guys and he they are really pushing him into doing stuff he doesn't want to do that he that is not he thinks that isn't feminist that isn't interesting i mean he that is maybe um just makes him uncomfortable for whatever reason and so um he and clara end up sort of teaming up in this book and she is comes from all this money and essentially as a side project making um she funds essentially the making of a bunch of like youtube videos that are going to be tutorials for how you can bring your a partner your partner more pleasure in the bedroom i love it yeah i thought it was really terrific and i think it's like a real journey for um clara to deal with kind of her own feelings of insecurity around sex and how she feels about that and who she is and what she really wants But there's a really tender storyline about Josh, who had essentially, because of 
his family's disapproval essentially cut them off. Like, basically, like, had a big fight with his parents, and, like, they were like, we can't believe you're doing this, and he, like, throws away his cell phone, and they can't find him anymore. You know, he's just, like, you know, cuts him off, and and this reuniting with his family and understanding his own feelings about this, it... I just think it's a really terrific book. I think it's doing a lot of really interesting things about, like, what does it really mean when we say that romance is sex positive? Mm -hmm. And I think these are really likable characters who are just trying to, like, kind of figure out how to make the world a little better. And that is, like, being great in bed. (laughs) I thought it was terrific. I really, really liked it a lot. I am really... I'm really excited about Rosie Dannon. I think she's, like, she's one of the debuts this year that I'm really, really psyched about. Yeah. So, um, okay. My next one is really, this is probably the, like, Alexis Staria is my friend, too. (laughs) (laughs) But there comes a point when you just have too many books on your list. Right, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, we kind of fought over this one, too, right? going to do this one together but um you had me at ola by alexis Ugh. daria which has been i think on all of the best of the year lists that i've seen as it should be and it really should be it's tremendously good um it has all of the thing all of the things that you know I love in a contemporary. I mean, I'm a sucker for a celebrity romance. Sure. I'm a <laughs> sucker for a, a contemporary that's set in a city. Mm-hmm. I'm a sucker for a contemporary that like has educational kissing, which is set, <laughs> I think like this is educational kissing adjacent. Mm-hmm. Um, but so the premise here is um, Jasmine, our heroine, has basically has been cast as the lead in a Netflix, or it's not Netflix, but in like a streaming. It's Netflix, like <laughs> telenovela. Sure. Bilingual telenovela, like so. It's it's like Jane the Virgin, but sure, you know, now. And um, she's been, and but she's also kind of been through the ringer tabloid style too. Like as we've all seen, what the tabloids can do to young women in their careers, um, in their film careers. She's she had a very public, like messy breakup. The tabloids Mm -hmm. have sort of been after her, Um, and so now she's like decided like she's going to get herself on a path she's going to focus on becoming a leading lady right um and she gets cast in this um in this telenovela with a get up against um ashton our hero who is kind of washed up like mm-hmm. this is his last shot at being a superstar um yes. and so and he's cast as her ex in the so the in the show the two characters are were together at one point and are no longer together and um so they are falling in love in both places and yes. i really talk about storytelling n- narrative choices that are so it's amazing. fascinating because we see the characters she Alexis drops in between the Jasmine and Ashton falling in love in real life as like workplace counterparts who have an intimacy yes. coordinator which is delightful oh, like all those it, it, it scenes really is. Yes. um you know like all the kind of cele- the trappings of the business of celebrity and of film they're falling in love with like cameras flashing everywhere and then in the 
in the show, the two characters are falling in love. They're having a second chance love story. Like, essentially, Alexis has written two romance novels for the price of one. And you get all the tropiness that you want on both levels. But what's so fascinating is the way she intersects the two love stories in this tremendously nuanced, like, thoughtful kind of way that I don't think I've ever seen in romance. I, you know, it's funny because I was thinking about it too. And, you know, at first I was like, I don't know what's going on here. And then I really came to love it. The only thing I can think of it, it, it is it kind of reminds me of the French lieutenant's woman. Yeah. Did you I was, read that? I did. I mean, I was going to say Possession. Do you remember that book that came yeah, out? Like, right. Where they were researching letters. And so, yeah. and, oh, you know who else did, did this? Like early, like, it's also a little bit, if you were a, none of these are the right. None of these right. are comps. None of these are right. But exactly. Uh, Lauren Willig's The Pink Secret History of the Pink Carnation series has this kind of like contemporary wraparound for a historical story. Yeah. Uh, it's always about research, though. This isn't research. No. This is like character. Char- it's, like it's it's so good. And it really so is. unique. And so like, I mean, that is we really should have had this conversation before we started this podcast because we are 55 minutes in, and I think you're right. Like the theme this year is just like narrative yeah. excellence. Yeah. Well, and I think the thing that also about you had me at Ola is I was really fascinated by um the way it really like, again, like, joking about fossils aside, like, who are you when you're at work? Yeah. And oh, what yeah. part of you do you bring to your work? And then how do you separate that out later? And I and, thought this was such a brilliant way of uncovering all that. Yes. But also, I mean, and you know how much I love romance that really digs deep on identity issues. Um just to add to that, it's not just who you are at work. For celebrities, it's a part of the joy of the celebrity romance is like, who are you as a celebrity? Who are you in the tabloids? Who are you at work? Is work like both of those things or are they two separate things? Are you three people? Are you two people? Like there's kind of a fractured personality. Well, and then you have Jasmine, right? Who is like coming back home. Who is she with her family? Yep. I mean, Ashton's dealing with himself as a father and that's something that's totally hidden away. Oh, it's so Alexis, good. the way she deals with relationships outside of the love story in romance is, I mean, she is one of the very best writers around right now doing that. Like, really yes. tackling all these, you all the different, like, prongs of your relationships with other people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, it's terrific. I loved it. It's great. All right. I'm going to do two more, right? Yeah, two more. I'm going to do Whiteout by Adriana Anders next. Um, this was a book that did come out in 2020. I had to check. Yeah, sh- gosh, it feels like it came out a thousand years ago. I think it was like ago. January or February. I mean, I was literally like, yeah, that was 800 years ago. I was like, no, it was this year. <laughs> um, and this is a book, this has become one of the books that I would recommend to romance readers, but also I've recommended to a few non-romance readers. Cool. So I feel like it has really broad appeal. And so, you know, for those of you listening who are like, oh, I've read it already, but who do I give it to in their stocking? Anyone is the answer. Yeah, if anybody loves a thriller. Oh, like yeah, I feel absolutely. you just said that. I think I might give this to my mom as a because yeah. my right. mom, you know, my mom just discovered this author, this little known author, Sandra Brown. Sandra Brown. <laughs> so, sure. <laughs> 
Um, I gave it to my friend Ernie, who is I read Jack Reacher with, yeah. right? I was like, read this. So the story of this one, it is, and this is, again, this is one of those books where you're like, how in the F are you going to pull this off? And that mm-hmm. has been a theme in all these books, right? Is um, Angel Smith is and Ford Cooper are in on Antarctica. In Antarctica? At Antarctica? I don't even know the proper preposition. I think on. On works, sure. right? It's an island. I guess. And um, she is a chef, and he is a researcher, and they are about to switch out, and essentially most of the workers in Antarctica leave, because once winter is there, only a skeleton staff stays to continue researching. And Ford does. Like, he's a real loner, and there's, you know, he has a brother, but he's just not that close to him, and um, but there he has discovered this, by the way, is going to feel real, real, real. He has discovered evidence of like a essentially a prehistoric virus in the Antarctic ice. And the bad guys are an American pharmaceutical company who wants to take it and essentially weaponize it. Oh, yeah. Feels, I was like, <laughs> way to go, Adriana. You nailed it. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> and I think that's another thing I, I struggled with. I really struggle with um, romantic suspense where it's just like the bad guys are just like brown people. Anyway, I really liked that this book. So what happens is the bad guys, right, this, these, uh, this American company. pharmaceutical company essentially at this, um, the switch off realizes that this is a time to get their hands on Ford's like ice core samples and they hijack it essentially so that Ford and Angel um, kind of sees them doing it. She becomes a threat. She gets left behind in Antarctica and she and Ford, I shit you not, have to like trek across Antarctica from one station to another and they only have however many days of food and you know how are they going to possibly get there and it is a real like I mean it's one of those books where you read where you're like I would be dead by now (laughs) (laughs) I do not have this 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 you know in me this intrepid spirit to survive but they do and it is an amazing romance and it is one of those books where you're like how are you going to possibly pull it off and I just think it is spectacular from beginning to end they danger bang in a cabin, just in case, everybody. Because <laughs> I was like, where are they going to do it? Of course <laughs> this they is, do. Because logically, there's no danger banging in the Antarctic snow. No, there literally isn't. And this is when I explained danger banging as a concept to my husband throughout. Like, this book was a book. I mean, the real good ones are the ones that I tell Mr. Reed's romance yeah. about because he doesn't read And you revolutionize everybody. his brain. <laughs> And he was like, what's danger banging? And I was like, can't you figure it out? And he was like, okay, yeah. A <laughs> mental model. <laughs> um, okay, uh, my next pick is Queen Move by Kennedy yes. Ryan. We've talked about this one too. We did. Oh, we should have done, see, we should have done this at the beginning. That's okay. Um, but I, and I said, I sort of teased that we were going to talk about Queen Move uh, later in the, in because we had Kennedy on this season. We did. Did we have Kennedy on this season? It was the end of last season, I think. End of last season. Anyway, Kenny's is a delightful guest. We'll put links and show notes to her episode, which was super duper fun. Um, anyway, uh, so I've said that I think Queen Move is terrific. I think I'm on the record as thinking that if you want to talk about a, a heroine, a heroine, 
she's kind of a heroine in real life too, but um, a writer who like hunts big game. Yes. That is Kennedy Ryan. Like she is working overtime when she's writing to like tell you a story that will change your life Mm -hmm. in some way. Like I think Kennedy sits down to change the world when she puts pen to paper. And that is, again, I just can't help but admire writers who think about it that way. Like, what are the things I can, what is the story I can spin you about love that will change the way you think about the world? And like, that's amazing. And this is one of those stories. Um, You know, Queen Move has that feel like a lot of, you know, I really feel like Kennedy's books have been sort of moving through time, they've been marching forward as books toward this place where um, a book, where she writes a book that is epic. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what this book is. It's multi-generational in some ways. There's a, um, the book begins with the hero and heroine, Ezra and Kimba, in the tub together. I mean, like, as infants. Like, their their parents lived across the street from each other. Um, they were best friends growing up until they were 13 when something happened. A sort of mis- there's sort of a, a, there's like a familial secret that eventually comes to pass over the course of this book that show that explains it, but um, the families separate and move and they, you know, they move apart. Ezra moves away and they are separated. And then the book in, in the big, the book begins in earnest at Kimba's father's funeral. And so, mm-hmm. I mean, again, I talked about this when I talked about Beach Read, which by the right. way, was another one of the books that we sort of, I really like, we went around and around on whether we should put Beach Read on this list. We probably should have. It's, Terrific. Um, but I really like books that are, um, you know, this year especially, I've been like really gravitating toward books that sort of really um, steep themselves in the language of who you are after your parents die. I mean, this yeah. is not a depressing book. This is not like her father's death is not like paramount to the story of this book. But I, again, it's about identity, like who you are at certain phases of your life and how those phases, how that identity shifts and, and changes as you fight the world. Um, and that's what's happening in this book. Kennedy's heroines always fight the world. Kimba is no different. She's a political operative. Um But also she's, you know, there have been these sort of major like tectonic shifts over the course of her life, just like there are over the course of all of our lives. And I think that's the thing that Kennedy does so well, especially with a book like Queen Move, is she establishes these characters who not only are badass, yes, badass heroines who maybe act in a way that you wish you in at your best self, you too will act this way with like this nobility and this like forthrightness, but also what Kennedy is doing all the time with her characters is kind of telling you the story of how humans evolve, like how, when we are, when we are pushed and prodded and moved into um, discomfort and fear and anger and, you know, yes, angst in this book, (laughs) you are pushed to, to reveal who you truly are. Right. And like that it is an immensely powerful book. On top of it, it's super sexy. Um, it's a second chance. They come back together, the hero and heroine, much later. Kimba is 37 at this book. Like, she's she's an older woman. I mean, she's not, no. Not, right. She's not older, but for romance heroines, she's, like, 
a thousand years old. Right, we have a lot of readers looking for, like, I mean, I'm 47. Yeah. Fuck you, Sarah, but it's fine. Okay. <laughs> I mean, well, in romance, my God, all those sure. Judith McNaught heroines are, like, 18. So. Oh, yeah, absolutely. No, totally. She I could be you. the parent of a Judith McNaught heroine. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Um, if vodka in my cup, I'd be drinking it right now. I know. So, um, but she's yeah. older. There is, um, you know, there is a discussion. Kennedy really, she she often sort of delves into these issues of um, infertility. Um, there's a long, discuss- there's a lot of discussion of like early perimenopause in this book. Like, again, I feel like I'm not making it sexy, but like it <laughs> is in the sense that like there's, these are real people like falling yeah. in real love and like again it feels like faded matesy a little bit like here are two people who maybe who were destined for each other from the start the first 20 percent of this book is them as until they are 13 and like there's this great scene and she gets her period at school for the first time and she's wearing white pants and like who among us has not (laughs) been in that scenario and she gets up and she doesn't know and he, like, throws his jacket around her waist. Like, because he's her buddy. Like, he yeah. loves her. He's her friend. And then they're each other's first kiss. And then it's sort of like, it all falls apart because of these. It feels like epic. It just feels epic. And it feels like yeah. when they come back together, it's because the universe refused to let them be apart. Oh, I love that. That's a good sell, Sarah. Thank you. For those of you who have not been sold it before. All right. Well, my last book is The Devil of Downtown by oh, Joanna Shue. yeah, he is. Yeah, he is. And <laughs> I, um, you know, often it's like what makes a book your, a cla- like your favorite is the amount of rereading you do. And I have reread this book multiple times, even though it came out. I read it earlier, but it came out, I think, officially in June. And I've reread it. I've listened to it. I've reread it again. Um, and I, one of the things I would say is um, this, and you you know this, and you have managed to do it, but I always feel like ending a series has got to be a real tightrope walk, right? And so here we have the story. This is the final book in the Uptown Girls series about three sisters. And um, I really, I I liked book one a lot. I loved book two, and I, I book three might actually be my favorite, and I didn't think I would say that because I love The Prince of Broadway. Um, the Prince of Broadway is a perfect book. The Devil of Downtown is also a perfect book. And one of the things, so the story is Jack Mulligan essentially is like, you know, runs lower Manhattan. He has all of these, you know, everyone reports to him. And Justine Green is the local do-gooder. <laughs> And this is always, like, a really appealing conflict. But also, um, Justine is, you know, I think what I really liked about it is that she is a do-gooder, but she is not naive or silly. And I think that that can be a really hard thing to carry off, right? Often do-gooders are played up for being, like, naive and kind of not understanding the way things really work. And I think she is perfectly capable of understanding how things work. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is what Jack admires about her. Um, I think it is really hot. I think there's a way in which it plays with a lot of... um, 
narratives around, like, because this takes place during, like, Tammy Hall, like, and, like, the police won't help her or him, mm-hmm. you know, the way that it sort of shows um, kind of people taking care of each other, even when government does not, that felt really real to me this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, though, more than anything else, the thing that I really liked about this book is this idea that um, two people who have differing, different views of how the world should work or does work can still come together and, like, respect each other and, like, work to make the world what they want it. And that, I think, was, like, really powerful, right? Like, it's not, I mean, Jack ends up giving up a lot of his you know, kind of through machinations of, like, another bad guy, ends up giving up part of his empire. And rather than this being, like, this tragedy, it's just, like, this opportunity. And I really liked the idea that, like, people can change and and try to be better. And, you know, Clayton and... Clayton and and Florence, this is in book two, kind of are still, like, out there, right? Out there doing their thing. Yeah. But Jack and Justine are, like, I don't know. Like, they're just going to, they're going to make it. And I found that this book was really, I don't know. I loved it. I loved this book so much. I I don't know what else to say about it. I know I'm not being very, like, It's a delight to read. And... It is me. It's another, it's a book that is made even better. It is a delight on its own, but it is made even better if you read the whole series. Yes. So if you are looking for like that cold winter series that like you can just lay on the couch for three days and read, read. start with The Rogue Rogue of Fifth Avenue, read The Prince of Broadway, and then read The Devil of Downtown. And it is. Yeah, perfect. It is a perfect series. Then you get like the full relationship bet- between the sisters too is just as important. And you know, Florence and and Mamie are like these wild ones running all over New York doing this yeah. stuff. And then when Justine starts to do it, they're so disapproving and they don't trust her to make her own decisions and she is like, "F you. I watched you two run around New York like wild women doing whatever you wanted." <laughs> and I felt like, you know, that the that sibling pressure, like mm-hmm. sort of class differences, where your money comes from. Mm-hmm. Um I god, it really just has everything. I loved it. I love this book so much. Because it's great. Because Joanna is like the best there is right now. Yeah. I mean, and again, an unusual historical in the sense of like where it's set. Very angry that Joanna writes books. They make me feel very bad about myself. (laughs) You know, you shouldn't. Because if I was not your friend, I would be talking about Daring and the Duke. Oh, well, you're not allowed to. Nope. So, um, okay. We read some great romances this year, didn't we, Sarah? Thank God for that. That was the one thing that happened this year that went really just A+. Absolutely. I mean, Abide and Win was great, but (laughs) that hasn't, I mean, that's still, that's like a B-plus right now. I'm not giving it an A until we're there. (laughs) Until it happens, right, exactly. (laughs) Emily, get your shit together. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Um, We had a great reading year. Do not forget... To purchase these books at Old Town Books in Alexandria, Virginia, check show notes. We'll put the link right at the very tippy top of show notes so that you don't even have to scroll, but you should always scroll because they're fun. 
And although it'll probably just be a list of books this year, this week, and then we'll put it on Twitter. We'll put it on Instagram. We are Faded States is back. We'll put that information in show notes again. We're going to call Georgia December 2nd, and we are doing postcard writing on December 5th, and we are doing more calling of Georgia on January 2nd. We love you. We hope that if you are celebrating Thanksgiving, you are having a great, safe time Zoom Thanksgiving with your yes, family, eating your turkey or your chicken or wherever, whatever you're <laughs> eating, eat whatever the hell you want. No one's paying attention. Yeah, <laughs> right. Live your best life and read the hating game because that is what we will be reading along with next week. Yeah, next week. Sally Thorne. Happy Thanksgiving, Jen. Happy Thanksgiving to you, Sarah.